Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Peace and love, everybody. I'm Brother Ali. This is the Travelers Podcast. It's going to be a little bit out of the ordinary episode this week. You know, last, uh, a couple months ago during Ramadan, I did a full series of just really sitting down and sharing what I was going through during the month of Ramadan. And then we went all the way through Eid with that one. And uh, a lot of people have said that they like those, and I certainly like doing them. You know, to me, the travelers, the idea of the travelers is about the fact that we really benefit from connection. We benefit for a lot from sharing with each other and reflecting together, especially if the intention is as sincere as we can get it. In Islam, the idea of sincerity is called ikhlas. That's one of the ideas of sincerity. There are many words that can be translated as sincerity, and they all have different meanings and connotations, and they all derive from different uh, concepts, and it's all really beautiful. That's why it's really hard to translate uh, the Quran or the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad or the poetry uh, of you know great poets and wise people and teaching. It's, it's difficult to just translate it. It's kind of like, man, you really need to learn the language because you start learning just all of this ocean of meaning uh, that lies underneath these things. But one of the ideas of sincerity is ikhlas, which means to have a singular intention, to have exclusivity about intention. What is the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing? And if you make that the priority, then nothing can violate that. You know, so that's that's one of the things that we really seek. And and that's a process of becoming like that. And it's a never-ending process maybe that it goes on for our whole lives, that we're always looking for something, in whether it's in us or in the situation, that is compromising the intention uh, by, what, by diluting it or polluting it or diverting it. And so we're first and foremost always looking at our own ego. In what ways is my ego trying to make this about me rather than what the intention is? And we should be very clear always. We're really encouraged to be really clear about everything that we do, um, you know, because these things have consequences. And so with all things, we always start with what's my intention for doing what I'm doing? And so inshallah, the intention with communicating with each other and reflecting together is to be sincere and to learn as much as we can. So um, also it's Eid when I'm recording this. It's Eid for the Muslims again. Uh, last Eid was, uh, the word is actually Eid, which means a reoccurring joy, like a joy that comes around. That's like a, a cycle, like it, it comes around again. It's a visitor that comes to visit periodically. And there's two of them in Islam. There are other important days, you know, but these are the two like like official holidays in Islam. One of them is at the end of Ramadan, and the other one is during the time of Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca. So, the, you know, people go to Mecca all year round. <clears throat> and that is a pilgrimage, you know, and I, I've been blessed to do that a couple times. Uh, just recently I did that with my family. Um, and it was it's really, really beautiful. But if you go at any time, it's it's considered an umrah, which is a minor pilgrimage. It's not the full pilgrimage. The full pilgrimage is called hajj, and there's more ceremonies and rites and things like that, uh, and it, it takes longer. 
But one of the other main things about it is that that's the time when everyone who is is making intention for Hajj that year, that's the time that millions of people from literally every corner of the globe are in Mecca. Like, I mean, you meet people from all over the place, people you would never expect, you know? And um, <clears throat> when I was on Hajj, I saw somebody that looked just like Merce. And I was like, man, that is, I, I really thought it was Merce. Like all the way up until I was like standing eye to eye with this person. And I still was looking at him like, oh, this isn't Merce. <laughs> Merce is Christian, you know what I mean? But I was just convinced that it was Merce. It was really deep. Um, but so today is the Eid of the sacrifice, the Eid that is at the time. Anybody who's not on Hajj, the culmination of the Hajj is the standing on the day of Arafat and standing on the plain of Arafat. And um, they say that that is like a, it's like a preview for the day of standing. Some call it the day of judgment. And it's, I always use those words with, with a certain sense of like, man, there are certain words that when I use them, I know they carry all kind of connotations for my people, for my, not my non-Muslim people that they carry all kind of religious connotations that don't come from Islam and aren't true of Islam. So even if you say God, you know, there are people that mo for most people who aren't Muslim, an idea of some concept of a man comes to mind for them, you know, or something or, and it's used, it, but it's almost always a man. Most Westerners view God as a man. And so and, th and that's just not what Islam, that's not what we believe in. God is not a man and God's not a thing and God's not an ideology and God's not an energy and God, you know, that's none of those things are what we believe about God, about the creator, the source, which is why I use the creator or the source, the source of all meaning, the most high, um, the divine, you know, and a lot of people say the universe and it's like, okay, well, do you actually mean the universe? Do you mean the planets that are in the universe? Do you mean, or do you just mean something that's not of, uh, of our experience? It's not, it's, it's an unseen thing to us and it's whatever, whatever the, whatever the, the power behind the universe is. Because a lot of times you talk to people about what do you actually mean by that, a lot of times they mean something very similar to what we mean when we say Allah. And so the day of judgment is why I was saying that because, you know, the day of judgment, a lot of times people think of, they conjure that image of that, that they have of the divine as being a man who sits there and judges them. People say, I don't fear any man but God. Well, God's not a man, to, you know, in truth. You know, no disrespect to people who believe that, but I don't, I don't. It's, it's the core, it's at the core of, of traditional global Islam that God's not a man. And so, um, and God is, uh, the divine is perfect, uh, whereas the creation is not. You know, the, the necessary being, Allah is the necessary that brings all of the possible things into being, all creative things. So all things that are created have a beginning and end. 
And in between that beginning and end, they change and they develop and they evolve and maybe they devolve and maybe they decay. Um, but Allah is the one who exists by right, who is. Uh, and all of the things that ever existed in, in the created world, um, be, because of the fact that they had a beginning date, something had to have brought them into being. A thing can't bring itself into being. Something else has to be responsible for its origin, for originating it. And so in that understanding, Allah is the one who does not have a beginning and is not evolving. You know, so this idea that we're like, well, we're evolving into gods. No, that, that's not what the, that's not what the global tradition of Islam has ever said. Um, you know, that we all, part of our design is that we make mistakes, you know? And so there are sometimes that people um, will ask us to, and give us the benefit and the joy of accompanying them when they're becoming Muslim. And then it's almost like they keep confessing that they make mistakes or that they do things we're not supposed to do or that they're not able to do all the five prayers and they struggle to not, you know, be harsh with their families or, you know, and it's, it's like, man, it still takes us time to develop, to understand that this is what we believe a human being to be. A human being is someone who has the potential to be completely beautiful. And that's what the prophets are. The prophets are the people that show us what our ultimate potential is. And, um, and the, you know, and there are, there have been people in history like that, but every other person, um, is struggling to get to that potential. And that potential is not God though. Um, that potential is the fully fleshed out, uh, reality of what the human being is. So we say day of judgment is tough because a lot of people will conjure the image of a man judging them. You know what I'm saying? And so when people talk about that concept, it's like, well, who is this man to judge me? And there is judgment and there is a time when, you know, it's just really all of the, all of the ability to BS just dies away. You know, the, the physical material things and the ability to gaslight and to lie and to be deceptive. And e even sometimes deceptive, deception can be really subtle, but even subtle deceptions are just all gone. That's the time when it's all truth telling. And part of the truth that comes to light is all of the sneaky, petty, ugly things that we ever did, unless those things are forgiven. And we do believe that Allah created us with this nature that we had, that we're a soul and our soul is given life by the breath of the divine. And so, you know, so sometimes when people say, well, you know, I respect the God in you or I acknowledge, well, the, the God is what, what animates us, you know, and we are in, in a way, the best of who we are is a reminder of the divine. Uh, but we in and of ourselves are not divine. Uh, but we, we're getting our existence from the divine and we can be like the divine, but the divine isn't like us. And the difference is that all of our attributes are actually expressions of the divine's attributes. Um, but so we are like God in that sense, but God isn't like us because our, our goodness 
and our wisdom and our power is all limited and it can all be, it all needs to be grown and developed. And Allah is not like that. Allah doesn't need to be grown. Allah doesn't need to be developed. Um, so in that sense, you know, we can develop to really high height. But what's also true about us is that we are a nefs, an ego, and we're an intellect and we're a heart. So we're a soul, a heart, an intellect, and an ego. And all those things are always going on and at play inside of all of us. And in the story of creation of the human being that's in the Quran, Allah says, I'm going to all of creation, you know, and creation, the natural world, um, has an understanding of the reason that it was created. And if, and it's, it's rare that they, that it would violate the reason for its creation. They're created on certain patterns and they are certain expressions of the attributes of God. And so we believe that everything in nature is like that, you know? Um, and so Allah announces, I'm going to create a Khalifa in the earth. And a Khalifa is like a representative or someone who stands in the office of someone. I'm going to create a Khalifa in the earth, a vicegerent, a representative who will have some sovereignty, who will have ability to make decisions for itself. And the angels and the creation understood what that meant. Wait a minute. So this is going to be something different. Uh, and they asked the question, the angels asked the question about the human beings. Doesn't that mean that they'll be able to do all kind of mischief and shed blood? And Allah says, I know what you don't know. And then created the human being and taught the human being the nature of all of these things, the names and nature of, of all these things. And then gave the command that the creation bow to, in reverence and respect to the human beings. And then they all did it except for Iblis, um, who's not an angel in the Islamic tradition, but a jinn. And Iblis wouldn't bow to the human beings because Iblis uh, had worshipped Allah outwardly, had done all of the outward acts of worship, all the outward forms of worship, and did all of those things with Basically, he's the archetype for self-righteousness and for religious self-righteousness. People that do all the right things, and so they think that makes them the boss. They think that makes them the king. They look down on other people. And, and he says, I'm better than him. I'm better than him. And our teachers tell us this is the first thing in creation that ever said enna, which means I. And the first one that ever said I to the creator and, and is, stated, is saying I'm better than, than Adam, than the, the human beings. They're made from mud. I'm made from fire. And we believe that shaitan, Iblis becomes shaitan, you know, becomes Satan. And so the idea of Satan is to prove that the human beings are just our lower selves, that we we're, that all we are is our mistakes, all we are is our contradictions, all we are is our weakness, you know, and and those human beings did make a mistake, and and Shaitan swindled them, and it was the man and the woman that ate together from the thing they weren't supposed to eat from. You know, the Bible story says that women, the woman ate it first and then the woman convinced the man. That's not in the Quran. <laughs> and so you start feeling like, who added that and why? 
And I have suspicions about that with all due love and respect to my Christian family and friends. Um, you know, that's just not in the Quran story. And also in the Quran, in the biblical story, Satan is saying, you're going to know everything if you eat from this thing that God told you not to eat. And so it's almost there, like in that kind of thing is maybe the dichotomy between science and religion or knowledge and religion, which we don't have in Islam. In the Muslim telling, in, in the Quran, we believe that God revealed the Quran um, and has preserved it so people haven't been able to change the Quran since it was revealed. Uh, and Satan actually says, you're going to live forever. So it's materialism. Like you're going to have material power and you're going to live forever in the material world. It's just straight materialism that was used to swindle them. And so they ate what they weren't supposed to eat, and um, but they repented and they came back to God. They came back to the divine and the divine forgave them because the divine loves to forgive. And so the story of this plane of existence is that Allah created the human beings with the potential um, to be prophetic and to be to live to live out the best part of our potential, and that's what the prophets represent. And there are prophets not only from the Arabs or not only from the Israelites, but there are prophets and messengers and reminders and sages and teachers in all, every group of people, and they all came from the same divine source with the same divine message. They had differences in their specifics for their like code of ethics. So they may have been given different, um, you know, rulings and religious codes of how they should live here and there. But even those uh, overlapped more than they differed. And so they all come from the same source. And so the story of humanity is that, and according to the Quranic perspective, is that the human beings were created to be, to have this potential, but also have the ability to, to go very wrong or to go a little bit wrong or to mix right and wrong. And the idea is to always be humble enough and truthful enough to just understand that if, we make, if I make a mistake, it's because I was created to make mistakes. And it doesn't mean that it's okay to oppress myself and to oppress others and to deny the rights of people or deny the rights of myself or my health or my body or to deny the rights of the ch children and animals and the natural world and ultimately denying the right of the divine to be acknowledged, to be witnessed. Allah says, I was a hidden treasure and I love to be known. And so I created creation to know me. So, you know, part of, part of why we were given this propensity to make mistakes and to forget and to contradict ourselves and to sometimes even just be straight up horrible. Most of the things that we do, we're not trying to be horrible. Most of, most of the mistakes we make are just, are, we're thinking too small or we're distracted by something smaller. You know, and Shaitan says, I'm going to prove that the human beings are just the lowest part of who they are. And the prophets are basically saying the human beings, who you really are, is the best part. And if your mistakes make you turn back to the divine and make you, um, make you more loving and soft-hearted, then, uh, then th even those mistakes were part of your journey. 
And so that's the way we view it. So when people become Muslim and they're like, hey, man, I just got to tell you, you know, I still make mistakes. I still, you know, these things in the shadi, I like I still do these things I'm not supposed to do sometimes. And like some, a lot of times I don't do everything I'm supposed to do. I just can't, some, I forget or I just get lazy or, I, you know, it's like, yeah, you don't actually have to say that because we understand that we're all doing. Now, if we're reflecting together about how to, to grow on this path, then that's different. But we don't have confession where somebody says like, yeah, I'm horrible. Like, no, you're not. Um, that's part of, that's part of what our design is. So, um, when we say the day of judgment and this, this holiday of Eid, um, we're talking about what Allah describes is that Yes, all of the things that we did, especially to each other, that's when the real justice happens. And we hope that Allah forgives us. But even before Allah judges us um, and, and weighs out our deeds, a lot of things happen. And one of them is that if we oppress people, those people have the right to take their right from us, to take what's rightfully theirs on the day of judgment. And so we have to repair things with people. It's not enough to just repent to Allah. Like if we've harmed people, we have to try to repair it with those people if we think we can. Sometimes you can't, but you always have to try to do that. Um, you know, and that's the time when the, but also beautiful truths are also revealed at that time as well you know, all of the beautiful secrets that we've carried, all the beautiful things that we've done when nobody was looking, all the times that even, and, and a lot of those beautiful actions even happen inside of us, you know, where someone wrongs us and we just know in our, in our heart, it's like, man, you never know what people are going through. You know what I mean? I was traveling today and um, airline lost my luggage a couple of days ago. I've, I've had a rough few days traveling, you know, it's all relative, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I mean, uh, you know, people people who went from Somalia in a civil war to and fled to Kenya and lived in refugee camps and then, you know, came to the UK or America or whatever. I mean, that's that's difficult travel. This is this is difficult travel for a rapper who has status on an airline and is used to getting everything they want. <laughs> you know what I mean? But. Um, so yeah, a couple of days ago, airline lost my only bag. And it's a bit stressful because like there was stuff in there that I need to perform. I'm trying to not buy a lot of clothes. Like I, I used to buy a lot of clothes and I thought it was part of my job as a rapper, but I don't want to do that anymore. So, um, you know, I had a couple outfits that were like, these are things that I can feel good and, and look presentable on stage. There are also things that will make sense in Turkey, in Istanbul, where I live, because a lot of things that would make sense on stage here. If I wear that in Istanbul, I'm going to look like I'm just stunting on my neighbors and it's, it, it would actually be rude. And, you know, I'm a religious person. So like if I walk in a mosque wearing some of this stuff, it's just not going to make sense. So I try to wear things that make sense in the different parts of my life. I just, I bought two outfits, but, you know, for me and, and where I'm at now, they're expensive and, you know, the shoes and the, the jackets and the, all, the whole thing. And so the airline lost my bag. And then I had a day of travel where I, my flight was delayed uh, eight hours and I missed the whole thing. I was going to the city to do. I get on a flight today and 
Alhamdulillah, I got bumped up to first class. I never pay for first class, but I do all my flying on the same airline, even back and forth to Turkey. So I have status on the airline and I get bumped up. And it really helps because if something goes wrong, which it often does in travel, they prioritize making it right for you. And for me, it's also extra true because I get bothered by security. And sometimes security, just because I'm a Muslim and I travel and sometimes they'll hold me. You know, I've, I've been held in those situations for seven hours. And if you miss your flight because of security, most airlines will be like, well, you should have came earlier. It's like, dude, I came two hours early. They held me for four hours. You know, the, the airline that I fly on, I, I've been flying with them for so long, so much that they, they just rebooked me. It's never a problem. So anyway, I got upgraded to first class and this guy got on the plane and um, he sat next to me and he, he ordered a big alcoholic drink right when we got on. And I could tell he was already had been drinking. Um, and the thing about Muslims is like we, our clothes, our bodies and the place that we pray have to be completely clean of things that are uh, spiritually dirty. So we can't have any, like when we go to the bathroom, none of it can be on us or our bodies or our clothes. So we, the Muslims usually sit down when they go to the bathroom and they use water. Almost always, you know, we might just use paper or wipes or something, but there's this thing where like people are, are really into wet wipes now when they, when they go number two, (laughs) when they defecate, when they (laughs) doo-doo. Um, but for the Muslims, it's like, that's better than dry paper, but we use water. And like there's bidets, all the Muslim countries have bidets built into the toilets, or um, sometimes it'll be like a hole in the ground with like a hose. But we're always using water, like there can't be a drop. And it's one of the things that, uh, <laughs> it's one of the things that um, like the, our, the people that do laundry for Muslims notice is like, man, these Muslims, are, their, their underwear is completely clean. <clears throat> um, there's this famous story about a sheikh who went to a Chinese laundryman, like a person that does laundry, and this person ended up becoming a Muslim just based on how clean his underwear were. Because <laughs> he's like, these people are amazing. How did your underwear just clean? Because it's a big deal to us, you know. But also... Um, all types of other things that are considered unclean. And one of them is alcohol. So I usually, if I'm going to be in the audience, uh, like normally there's clothes that I perform in. Those aren't the clothes I wear during the day because if someone spills alcohol on them, I can't pray in them um, until I wash them. And so, and it, it happens, you know what I mean? Like if I'm doing meet and greets with people in a club, they spill alcohol. Uh, people who drink spill their alcohol. It's just... Uh, you know, um, they have a hard time just keeping it to themselves. So I was on a plane and, and this guy, first he bumped his drink and it spilled on me. Um, and then he fell and then he passed out with almost a whole cup sitting there. And then he reached over and sure enough, he spilled the whole drink on both of us and both of our seats and all on my everything. And, you know, and there's just... Inside me, I'm like, man, I don't know what this guy is going through. Maybe he's on this flight because his mom just died. 
You know what I mean? Maybe this is his first time drinking. Like, I just don't know what people are going through because I've been through crazy stuff. You know what I mean? Or maybe he's struggling with alcoholism the same way my dad did. So, you know, this, th- these are all parts of, um, this is all part of the, the spiritual practice and the spiritual journey. And so, you know, the, the prophetic voice is the one saying, man, who knows what type of beauty this person is about. Now, it's also true that I, I said to the, he, and then he, he knocked his drink over and then just went back to sleep. And so I got up and got the flight attendant. I was like, hey, uh, the guy spilled his whole drink. Um, you know, I'm going to go in the bathroom and like try to clean myself up. Could you please help him clean up? And could you also please not serve him more? Because you know what I mean? Like he, he literally can't handle his liquor, like not even like drinking it, but like he can't hold it in his hand. Um, but yeah, then she was very apologetic and everything. And and in those moments, I'm not going to say it's okay because it's not okay to spill your drink all over people. But uh, he kind of halfway woke up and I could tell that he saw in his face like, oh, <clears throat> something went wrong between me and this guy. And I could tell he had this feeling or whatever. And I, I was just like, hey, man, I'm." Uh, he tried to say something. And I was like, I'm not mad at you, man, because I'm not going to say it's okay. It's not okay. And I'm not going to say don't worry about it because maybe he should worry about it. You know, I don't, uh, I don't know those things, but at the same time, like, I'm, I'm not mad at you, man. So, uh, what, what I'm talking about, Eid, <laughs> tangent, man. So in talking about Eid, the reason I was talking about all of this is that, uh, this particular Eid, the second one in the, in the year, and this is the end, near the end of the year for, in the Islamic calendar, <clears throat> this is the day on Hajj where people are standing, the day after people are standing on the day of Arafat, the plain of Arafat, which is like a foreshadowing of the day of standing, the day of reckoning, the day of truth, the day of judgment. And yes, all of the truths come out in that day. And some of them are horrifying because we wrong each other. We wrong ourselves. We wrong the creator, you know. My body deserves care. My body deserves to be looked after. My body deserves to be nurtured. My children deserve to be nurtured. My wife deserves to be loved. My neighbors deserve to to live with somebody trustworthy. Um, the people I do business with deserve to be with someone who's going to be fair dealing with them and who's not going to swindle them and trick them. Um, there are certain things that I owe to myself and to others. And then there's things that we owe to the divine. And ultimately, we, we owe the divine uh, gratitude. We owe the divine um, honesty, sincerity. We owe the divine, um, you know, to glorify and to praise and to thank. In, in Islam, the opposite, when we talk about if somebody's a believer or a disbeliever, the idea of disbelief in Islam and in Arabic is kufr. And the person that does that is called a kafir. And the people that do that are called kufar, a kafirun. And it means to cover. It means to deny. And its opposite isn't mu'min, which is believer. The opposite is the opposite of kufr. The opposite of disbelief is shukr, which is gratitude. This is one of the ways you know about the truths that are being communicated in a language. What's its opposite? So the opposite of disbelief is gratitude. So a person who lives without any gratitude for the unseen 
or, or, you know, if people say the universe or something, but like, am I grateful? Am I grateful to be alive? Am I, am I grateful for, you know, beautiful sunsets? And am I even grateful if we get to the place where we're grateful for our tests and our trials, now you're dealing with uh, a type of sainthood. You're dealing with a type of being a real seeker, a real knower, you know, the point where, you know, we can be patient with the things that come along that are difficult, you know, and, and we experience real hurt, you know, and so sometimes we're doing the right thing, even though we're in pain and that's patience. And that's a really high station, but some people are actually grateful for their pain. Not that they would ever fetishize it or seek to be in pain. You know, that's a, that's a totally different thing. That's, that's like, yeah, that's a different thing. And there are people that fetishize pain and seek out pain because they're like, well, I want to be more wise. And so I want to seek out pain. No, 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 that's not wisdom. Pain will come as part of life. You know what I mean? When the, when the source has given us good, we'd be grateful. When the source has given us a challenge, now that's the time to see, all right, how do I sit with this? You know, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging the pain of it, acknowledging the sadness of it, acknowledging the, the dis-ease of it, you know, but can I, be, can I do the right thing anyway? Can I say the right thing anyway? Can I be loving to myself and to my family and to my neighbors? And can I be good to people even though I'm suffering? Because that's a really good sign. But then also, can I immediately know that, oh, there's good always comes out of these things? You know what I mean? That, that like Allah has the right to do with us whatever Allah wants to do. And anything Allah is doing is going to be good in the, in ultimately. And so it doesn't mean that I don't fight oppression it doesn't mean that I, uh, that I like things, that I like f for f people to be wronged or even for me to be wronged. But I also know that when really hard things happen, well, that's, uh, that's, a real, that's a higher level. That's a really amazing level to be at, you know? And a lot of times our elders are like that. And a lot of times there are even young people that are that way. You see these beautiful, you know, children. If you ever like visit kids with leukemia or something, Sometimes they're just so beautiful. Their souls are just so beautiful. And it's like, I don't want leukemia and I don't want my kids to have leukemia. And I don't even want you to have leukemia. But there's no denying that this thing is revealing about this soul. They might be seven years old, but like their soul is so beautiful. And like, I want that kind of soul. I want to be like that. Doesn't mean I want the leukemia, but we also realize that like sometimes these are the thing oftentimes these are the things that reveal the beauty in people and especially if you if you if you know that there's something after this existence um you know i saw neil degrasse tyson and saying well these religions say that god is all powerful and god is good well then why do all these bad things happen well if you believe that the material reality and our our death is the end then yeah, it's hard to understand. I, I, I get that. I understand that. But also, why is there so much beauty in, in so many people that are getting their butts kicked by life? Why is there so much beauty in, um, you know, survivors? Why is there so much beauty? Why is there so much forgiveness and love? I try not to talk about my wife too much, but my wife, it's hard because I'm really proud of her and 
you know, she's my, she's my wife. So, you know, but I, she's chosen to not be a public person. But I mean, she's, she lived through things that not everybody lives through. And she's just got no ill will towards anybody. You know, um, the people that have wronged her, she goes immediately to being like, what happened to them? You know what I mean? And she goes immediately to like, you know, she's grateful and she knows that she's been given a gift, that she's not a person who takes the horrible things that happen to her and takes it out on other people. Um, you know, and it's like, yes, even that, even if you don't automatically say, well, there's an afterlife. Okay, well, what happens when that person dies then? You know what I mean? What happens to Sojourner Truth and Helen Keller? And uh, what what happens to these pe- people that suffer in their lives and they're, in, they're inspiringly beautiful? They're so beautiful in their soul. And the things that they are able to communicate just by being them, that just goes away. That when they die, that's the, they just lost. You know what I mean? Uh, Martin Luther King's enemies shot him, and his dream isn't a reality yet. Is he a loser? Because in this life, you would say, did he win? Well, no, he's he's a winner because we all love him. So okay, so that means that we're his afterlife. And is there an afterlife? Is it, is it possible that our hearts aren't big enough to, to reward and recompense him for what he did, for what Sojourner Truth and Helen Keller and Harriet Tubman and, um, you know, all these great people, you know what I mean? Harriet Tubman did, did what she did. At the end, was she just victorious and there was like complete freedom and everything? No. Okay, so did she lose? No. Why? Well, because we all know she's great. But can my heart be enough of a paradise for her? Am I? Are we actually capable of that? Or is the only way for there to be, for there to be justice that there's got to be an actual paradise for her where she is face to face with the divine, and the divine says, "For the day of judgment for somebody like that, look at what you were, even in the face of all of this horror." So like those things to me are proof that, you know, it's not just the material existence. And at the same time, the Muslims don't have this fight between the material knowledge, science, and uh, spiritual truth. There's, we don't have that dichotomy. We don't have that fight. So the day of Arafat is about that day of standing, you know, when it all comes out. And... Allah is never unjust with us, but we're unjust with ourselves. And that's what we're actually fearing. We fear the truth of what we've done. When we say we fear God, it's because God sees and knows all. And so we're actually fearing ourselves. We're not fearing that Allah would ever wrong us. And the truth is that Allah says over and over and over and over again, every time there's talk about the wrong that people do, Allah always says, But if they repent, if they do good, if they try to heal, if they try to repair, if they try to be truthful, then Allah loves to forgive. And you see people that have done horrible things, they also become beautiful. So like it's not only eight-year-old kids with leukemia. There are people that have murdered people. Some of of my closest friends in life have taken people's lives at at different time in their life. 
I, you know, I became Muslim in a time when that was really common in like urban, you know, guys become Muslim in prison or sometimes they don't even go to prison. They just want to change their life and they become Muslim. And you see how intensely beautiful these people are. And it's like, okay, mercy is real. And so it's, so I can look at them. I can look at my man and say, yeah, you know, you grew up as a young black man in the middle of one of the most horrific stories in human history. And at that phase in the 80s and 90s, when, when we were growing up, you were in a crack epidemic. Your, both your parents were on crack. You know what I'm saying? And then maybe you got sucked into selling it because at, at six years old. You know what I'm saying? And then what comes along with that is deadly violence. But this is a person who didn't get caught and who gave it all up and who actually donated all the things they bought and has spent the rest of their life healing from that trauma, raising children, raising other people's children, just giving to the world in every way possible. And this person might be a little rough around the edges sometimes, but 99% of the people that interact with this person, they have no idea what they've been through. And it's only Allah's gift to me that we're such dear friends and I know what they've been through. You know what I mean? And I've known people that have gone to prison for things that they didn't do for years. Um, I, I just know people that have lived absolute nightmares and along the way have done horrible things, but they're beautiful. So, and so like, is me knowing that enough to recompense that? Can my heart actually, so like, is it just enough that the human beings, that the human family has a good opinion of somebody? Because this person will very likely pass away with no one ever knowing what they've done, except for me and maybe one or two other people. But they tell this this person I'm thinking of now tells me all the time, you're the only one that really, like you're the only one that knows everything that's happened to me and that I've done. You're the only one that knows that. Okay, so I'm heaven for this person? I, I can't do that. You know what I mean? So the divine isn't un is not unjust, and in order for in order for these things that we see in people to be fully fleshed out, it can't be in this realm, it can't be in this life. You know what I mean? So people just look at what corny religious people or fault flawed religious people say or how they treat the idea of an afterlife, and they're like, "Well, yeah, but does that mean that you just, you know, I'm just supposed to accept being oppressed?" No, that's not what it means. And if somebody used it for that, then they were wrong to do that. But that's not what it means. You know, um, I'm trying to remember the actor's name, uh, the really handsome, uh, light-skinned guy. I can't think of his name at the moment, but maybe it's for the best because I don't want to talk bad about people. But he gave this really beautiful black power speech. And he said, it's not in the afterlife. The afterlife is a hustle. And that, you know, people that are being tortured have the right to say what they need to say. And so I, that's probably why I can't think of his name, because I don't want to be like, you shouldn't say that. But it's like, well, the idea that you shouldn't uh, fight oppression in this life and just wait till the next life, that's a hustle. But the afterlife itself is not a hustle. The afterlife itself is why somebody who's been given privilege in the world, in the material sense, will will give it up if they have to. 
and will give their life if they have to. Like that's the ultimate privilege is to give our life, like the, the privilege of being alive and being will willing to give it selflessly. I mean, that's what a real martyr is. You know, a martyr is not a suicide bomber. That's a false martyr. But a real martyr is somebody who's willing to put their life on the line for something they believe in. And that's a universally respected thing. Why? Why? Why is that respected if it's only the material world, you know? So this day of judgment means that there will be a period where all the truth comes out and, you know, and we're happy for that and we long for it, but we're also afraid of our own misdeeds, you know? So we have to have like a healthy balance of hope and fear, of um, fear and love, hope and fear of our own. Like we can't forget that we have the, the we've done some horrible things. And we have the potential to do even worse. And if it's not for guidance, if it's not for love, if it's not for good community and good company and good teachers and companions and reflections, if it's not for that, we could all go off. You know, and if if, if a few little things are different in our lives, we could be, we could become someone's nightmare. We could become our own nightmare. And so that balance of like fear and hope, fear and love, fear of love, loving God and also fearing God. But what we're ultimately fearing is ourselves. So that's really a big part of what this Eid is about for us is that day of Arafat, that day of standing. Uh, and we stand together with the human family. The Muslims believe that we're, we're described in the Quran that before we came into this realm, we were all as, a, as the entirety of humanity was together, witnessing the divine and we were together. And the question was asked, am I not your creator? Am I not your evolver? Am I not your caretaker? Am I not your Rab? Which is sometimes translated as Lord. And that the human beings r responded in unison, Bella, certainly, absolutely, Shahidna, we witness, we witness is divine witnessing. And in that time, there weren't contradictions. There wasn't deception. There wasn't deprivation. There wasn't pettiness. There wasn't corniness. There wasn't phoniness. There wasn't gaslighting. It was just all beauty. And so when we come into this life and then we experience like this is the realm of life where there are all those ugly, petty things. And those are here to interact with, with our uh, appetite for stuff with our pettiness and also with our soul. And so we've got that internal battle going on, which is what the, the real jihad is about. The battle on the inside to not be a tyrant, the battle on the inside to not be a narcissist, to not just do whatever I have the power to do, even if it harms me and wrongs others, that I, I will do what's right. And that's an ongoing struggle and it's an ongoing challenge. So the prophets come to show us that it is possible though. This is what it looks like to be righteous. This is what it looks like to be victorious. This is the potential that you have in you. Because if we have the example of the worst, and I'm not going to say people's names, but also people who they choose to say is the worst is usually pretty biased. You know what I mean? There are certain people that the human family agrees are bad, but then there are others that 
are the worst of humanity to some people and they might be heroes to other people. Uh, that seems to be the case. And that's an interesting thing about being human <laughs> is that sometimes, you know, the, the worst oppressor to one person is a hero to somebody else. It's one of the things about statues, you know, the, in America, there's a lot of statues um, and just stuff named after white people who enslaved African people. And so that thing, that, that argument over names and statues just reveals the very different lives, the very different realities that have existed inside of one country. And the country of America has always been at war with itself. That's, that's really, in my mind, that's a big part of what America is, is it's an, it's an ongoing civil war. America is at war with itself to see who will be in control and have their way. I, that's not what I want it to be, but that's what it is. And uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, you have these people. I was just in Minneapolis. I just spent some time in Minneapolis and I stayed near a lake that used to be called Lake Calhoun. And they changed it to Bede Makaska. Bede means lake and Makaska is a great um, like First Nations uh, native figure. And they changed it because, uh, I mean, Calhoun was a slave owner. And so, you know, in those cases, and people say, well, why are you destroying history? And it's like, well, that's critical race theory and that's all this stuff. And it's like, well, okay. Um, America made the decision or the, the people in power, the people who had the, the power in their hands made the decision to celebrate a, a lot of people that were, that, that may have had good qualities, you know, but those people represent turmoil, oppression, and nightmares to other people. And so if you want to have a society that's healing, then you've got to address those things. You know what I mean? We've erected all of these statues and named all these things after people who were dehumanizing other people. And if you, if you want to heal society, those are things that should be addressed. You know what I mean? And a lot of times for people that look like me, for people that are, you know, descend from Europe and have less melanin and are understood to be white, it's like you think, look at what happened on 9-11, um, the anger and the pain that people felt in 9-11, you know, because it's like, okay, somebody, at least the official story, I'm not, I'm, and I'm, this is not the podcast where we talk about whether or not the official story is true, but uh, a tangent on a tangent, I'm tangent, man. I just saw a comedian recently that said, I don't trust people that don't believe in any conspiracy theories. You got to believe in some conspiracy theories. You mean to tell me you think the government's just been batting a thousand and telling the truth about it this whole time? So this isn't that. But I'm saying based on the official narrative that somebody, you know, from, from outside of America uh, crashed planes into buildings and killed 3,000 people just because they were in America and just because they were in a play, in a building, in buildings that symbolize American uh, business power, economic power. This like, well, okay, if I, and the way that a lot of white people, not all, I mean, Sage Francis made makeshift patriot, so white people are not all the same, but the way that a lot of white people felt in that moment was, wait, so I could be killed no matter what I believe just for being me and being in my country 
and indiscriminately. And you look at, you know, my father-in-law, for example, has a tattoo on his arm. He's an Italian brother. And I mean, he married into a black and Puerto Rican family. He raised my wife from the time she was a little girl. He's a beautiful man. And since then, his daughter and his son-in-law and his grandchildren are all Muslim. And we get on the phone, he greets us, alaikum. And when he sees Muslims, he's like, man, my family is Muslim. You know what I mean? But he's an Italian dude. He's got a, he's got the towers tattooed on his arm and it says, never forget. You know, and that was a big deal that like, how can I be killed just for being me? That's wrong, isn't it? And what was the response? America and the forces with them went to other countries that had nothing to do with even the official narrative and killed over a million people in Iraq and Afghanistan and you know and then if you look at how the region was destabilized like what's happened in Syria and you know in other places it's like yeah so i mean imagine if somebody saw bin laden as a as a hero you know what i mean what if what if somebody said well we hate the fact that america has been oppressing us and so this guy uh orchestrated an attack that led to America, um, you know, whatever. What if they saw him as a hero? How would you feel about that? Because that's how people feel with slave owners on their money. That's how people feel with a beautiful lake being named after a slaveholder who killed a lot of native people. Um, that's how people feel. It's like, what if, what if Bin Laden was on the money? How, you know, so, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm always with the tangents. Uh, but I also always bring it back. <laughs> what I was saying is that if we're going to, there, there are these people that we see as horrible, as examples of the worst of what a person can be. And they're different for different people a lot of times. You know, so when Obama steps out and says, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. You know what I mean? They killed they killed Osama bin Laden. And again, <laughs> this is all according to the official narrative. It's all so strange and suspicious. You know what I mean? It's like the whole thing. The whole thing is so suspicious. But I'm just even talking about what the official narrative is. But the idea that like we tracked this person down and we killed him. And this is a national day of celebration. You know, that there are... Um, we have examples of people that we feel like this is the worst of what a human being can be. And they usually, a lot of times, they, they're, they're different depending on who we are and what our interest in that situation is. But if we're going to have examples of who the worst is, there's got to be examples of who the best is. And that's what we understand about the prophets, you know. And those, those prophets are here to, to show us that. And what, so what Arafat and the Eid and the Hajj and really this whole tradition represents to us is just different aspects of that thing inside of us to say that, yes, we're, we're a very mysterious creation. We're a very mysterious creation. A human, human beings are mysterious things. Just wrote a song called Mysterious Things that I hope you get to hear soon because I'm so grateful that Allah gave me this song. But we are, and there's so much going on inside of all of us. And the spiritual path 
and it's, you know, Islam is really all of these opportunities to be present with that and to be intentional about that and to recognize that it's always a journey that we're, and it's a road that we're walking on at all times. So this is a special time for us. And I'm traveling um, just to kind of shift gears a little bit to just kind of share what's going on with me. I've been traveling in America for the past several weeks. I've got some events and things like that that brought me to America. Um, but I also got to spend some really beautiful time in Minneapolis, which was profoundly healing for me and really, really beautiful and really necessary and just a, a very important stage in my own journey and in my own life. You know, Minneapolis is a place where that's the place where I became me. I wasn't born there, but I moved around a lot when I was a kid and I never had a place that was my home. Um, until we moved to North Minneapolis when I was 14, turning 15. That's where I became a Muslim and not only became a Muslim, but became, uh, you know, a person in that community. And that's where I really developed as an artist and became a person in that community. And, you know, and I think because it happened so slowly and because it happened to me, I don't think I necessarily realized the real kind of position of prominence that I had in Minneapolis at one time. And I'm saying it in past tense because of some stuff that happened later, but, um, you know, it, for the Muslims, it's like in that community, there's Keith Ellison, there's Ilhan Omar, there's Khaled el -Amin, um, you know, and a few other folks, but uh, Bernie Sanders, for example, and you, you might not like Bernie Sanders' policies and things like that, and that's fine. A lot of times I don't love uh, somebody, like all their policies or even all their art or whatever. So much of this podcast, like the way that I talk to people, like I'm happy connecting with people based on the stuff that we have in common. And I, I don't need to agree with everything that somebody does. But uh, Bernie Sanders came through and I believe him to be a sincere person. Um, and so he came through and we did an event for him that was Keith Ellison, Ilhan Omar, Brother Ali, and, um, the new power generation. And he commented afterwards, um, he, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders did, he was like, man, all these like Muslims, like the Muslims are what was necessary to bring people out in the state of Minnesota. He's like, that's really something, you know, and it is, that is really something. And then in the hip hop scene, you know, the fact that my name is on the side of First Avenue, or at least it used to be, I don't know if it still is. Um, and for hip hop in the Twin Cities, you know, what I've been able to be part of and some of the things that I've done, um, I just was able to reach heights and certain like prominent positions and not necessarily positions, but I've been able to do things that are rare. And being back in Minneapolis, I realized like, I don't think I really ever fully understood or grasped how famous I was in Minneapolis. So I like, I could not for a good 10 or 15 years, I couldn't leave my house for any length of time for any reason without at least one person seeing me strange, like seeing me and acknowledging me for something good that I had done. 
uh, either it would be somebody that was showing me the tattoo of their mu of of you know my lyrics on them, or they're like standing there telling me about their you know how some song touched their lives and they're like trembling and crying and you know or it's some person that is feels good about something I've done in the Muslim community or something I did in the world of activism organizing or it's like some friend from some person I knew in high school or something it's just like yo you made it man you know or some elder saying hey I know who you are keep doing what you're doing you know literally every time I left my house and sometimes I didn't, wouldn't even leave my house. You know, like it was weird for me sometimes. Sometimes we would order food and I wouldn't want to go to the door to get it because the per, the delivery person was almost always going to be like, hey, just want to say I really appreciate what you're doing. But like I, I was celebrated by people every time I left my house without realizing it. Again, because it happened so slowly and because I, I don't know when it's happening to you, you don't necessarily realize how strange that is. And you also don't realize how it affects people around you as well. You know what I mean? Um, because I didn't do it to be famous. I didn't do any of these things to be famous. I'm, I have an ego just like everybody else. And one could argue that I have a very powerful ego. And I also have certain things that, you know, a lot of artists, we didn't get the acceptance and... Uh, recognition and validation that we would have liked to have gotten when we were young. And so a lot of times we go hard on stage because that's a way that to get it. We don't even necessarily realize that's what we're doing. But I mean, that's definitely true for me. Definitely. Come on, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's definitely true for me. Like I'm very happy to feel, to do something that's worthy of praise and then to suck up that, that admiration, especially in the earlier years. Like I was very, very happy to do that. But, you know, I don't always realize the way it's affecting people around me, like how it's affecting my kids, you know, um, in all these varieties of different ways or how my wife was kind of forced to be a public person against her will. Like she didn't really have the choice, like for a long time, um, wherever she went, you know, and she's a therapist. And I mean, like sometimes her clients would be like, oh my God, I just, how come you never told me you're married to brother Ali? She'd be like, I'm like, I'm cause I'm your therapist. What, what does that matter? What does that have to do with the fact that, you know, we're helping you sit with all this trauma or these patterns in your life or whatever, you know what I mean? And so, um, you know, but but I reached a point in my career where things were just financially and just the structure of my career was really hard. Like even as a successful artist, the last like five years before the pandemic were really challenging. They were really hard and I felt really defeated. I felt um, really kind of trapped in this in the scenario that I was in. I felt and I felt really powerless to do anything about it. And I was uh, needing to travel and perform or speak almost every day. So I was away from my family all the time. Um, I was in really bad physical shape. And I'm not saying this, this isn't anybody's fault. This is just what was. And, um, you know, so I'm being like praised outwardly, but also it really was very, very challenging and really difficult. And I, I didn't feel like I was in a situation where I could 
change the things that felt wrong to me in my own situation. And, you know, so then the pandemic came and I couldn't travel. And there was, so I was, I had nothing coming in and, um, it was really expensive, you know? Um, and then there was the uprising in our city. And then I also, I also had some personal stuff in my family that was really, really hard. Um, and then there was a, there was a, a thing that happened on social media, mostly on Twitter, where, um, you know, kind of in the wake of the uprising, the, you know, riots, if you want to call it that. But people burned down the police precinct and people burned some burned things down. And it felt like a moment of like recognition of pain. So burning things down so that the pain could be recognized it was a moment for that. And I, I understand that, even, you know, whether or not I agree with it is, doesn't matter. It's, I don't even view it that way. I understand that notion, like that's part of the human reality that sometimes like if we can't, you know, if we can't um, get satisfaction, then sometimes destroy, like if all I can do is destroy. And again, America is a war zone. And it's like destroying your enemy and outdoing your enemy is the way that, and, and the currency in America is only fame and punishment. It's like, you know, you're either a VIP or you're being punished. That's the way that we, that's what we do about things that are wrong in society is we punish. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, America's uniquely like that. Other, not everybody's like that. So we punish people that, that are, if there's a problem, we identify who's causing this problem and we punish those people. And so that happened in the music scene. And it just created this feeling that I was like, man, is this a community? Because nobody said that I was the problem, but they were talking about, you know, collectives that I was part of. And they were talking about, you know, basically there was a certain feeling or kind of way of talking like the music industry is just this horrible network of abusive oppressive men that's all it is and they all know about it and they're all in on it and that's that's why they're successful and that's why they're and nobody ever said that's true of brother ali but it's also like man i was one of the top people in that world and my life and career in my mind anyway, in my intention anyway, has been dedicated to the opposite of that. And so I just felt like, and and I, I felt like, you know, is this a community at all? But it really doesn't feel like my community. And, you know, so, and then during that time, we had the opportunity to move to Istanbul. And so we left and even that leaving was, it was intensely traumatic you know, my wife and I both come from not having money. And so we bought a small, very modest house in Minneapolis, but it was our house. We owned it and our children grew up in it and our children grew up in a house. And that meant a lot to us, you know. Um, my family grew up 
in all kinds of situations. Sometimes we would be living in big houses in the suburbs, but after a year we'd have to move because we would get foreclosed or we just couldn't afford it anymore. Both my parents died in suburban houses where they were under, under what do they call upside down in their mortgages, where they didn't have any equity in these houses. And they died living kind of a suburban lie where it looks good, but you don't actually have anything of, you don't actually don't have any value. Uh, but we had also had times where we were poor and lived in, in what's called the hood or in small apartments or whatever. And my wife's family was in the projects. And so that was our house and our children grew up and had always had food to eat and their lights were never off and they, the heat was always on and there wasn't, you know, there weren't roaches. And so for us, you know, that, that meant a lot. And we left that house in kind of a hurry. And a lot of the things that we had got donated and a lot of the stuff just got thrown away. Like I loaded up a tr like trucks and just took most of the things that we had bought, a lot of them to the dump. And I just watched all these things that I had built just kind of get thrown away. And I chose it, but it also felt like, it felt like I was like, I can't be here because I also wasn't part of the, I also had made the decision to go independent. And, you know, you, uh, also my parents are both passed away. My parents both died young. My wife's mother died during the pandemic. Um, you know, we didn't have a safety net and we still don't really. And so these communi this community and these institutions were the things that I used to rely on and they no longer felt reliable. And so we left and we went to Istanbul and we went to Istanbul with five duffel bags and that's it. And, um, and we didn't really know anybody and we don't speak the language and, you know, and also at that same time, I launched my own company to try to manage my own career. And it's a huge blessing that BK1 came and helped with that, you know, and then certain people uh, within within um, the the crew that I was with, the label that I was with, certain people were, were, were down to be helpful in any way they could. And so um, we left. And so coming back to Minneapolis this time, I always had this feeling of like loss and pain with Minneapolis, which is the place where I became me. And for a long time, it felt like a bad breakup with somebody that I used to really love. And, you know, I, I tried to perform in Minneapolis and First Avenue that I sold out over and over and over again wouldn't really book me. I mean, it's not that they said no, but they just, they wouldn't really give me a good offer, a good deal. Um, artists who, and that, so I, we did some shows at a little place called Ice House and I reached out to some people to open and people like artists who... I had taken on tour when they when they were still up and coming, when like they weren't able to tour. I took them on tour and I was like, hey, my you can ride in my vehicle for free and my tour manager will work for you. And my sound person will work for you. And, you know, the way that Atmosphere did for me, they said like, you'll be part of my touring family. It's not just that I'll let you open and you got to figure everything out for yourself. I actually want to help you go tour because I think you're worthy of it. 
And I reached out to artists that I had done that for. And those people, one of them said yes. And then he hit me back and said, hey, I know you would never harm anybody, but just because you're associated with other people that I think did. And I don't even know if he knows that I went independent. He hadn't asked me how I was doing, uh, hadn't checked in with me to see anything, just made these assumptions. But really, it's that they didn't want to be, they didn't want somebody to turn the scrutiny on them. And so this person said to me, I know you're a good person that would never harm anybody. And it's like, okay, well, why isn't that enough then? But well, you're associated with something that's understood to be not good. And so, so that was the one time I did come back to Minneapolis. That was my experience. You know, now at the same time, we did two shows at Ice House. They both sold out almost immediately. Um, financially, we did well. I did, um, you know, and some of the people from the community, like real people that I love came out. But I still had this weird feeling with Minneapolis that it was just kind of an open wound for me. And and there's no individual or institution, or there's no one person that I blame for it. It's just these, I, I, I understood that like these detachments, these losses are good in ways, you know? And there's meaning in this. So anyway, we left with the intention to launch and and really handle my own career to make life work in Turkey as converts. Me and my wife are both converts to Islam. We're not scholars. We're not, you know. And so coming back to Minneapolis this time, I came back as someone who not only launched my career, but I'm I'm working on new music and I'm financing it myself. And so often with artists, that's where we get stuck in situations that we didn't create because we don't have the money to invent, to, to do our own projects. We need somebody else to provide that money and that infrastructure. And so when somebody comes in with that, a lot of times they determine and dictate the terms. And for as much as I love the people that I was with, I didn't, de- I didn't determine the terms of my situation. I wasn't, you know, I I didn't set those terms. And when I wanted to change things, I discovered I wasn't able to do that. And, um, you know, and then when there were these like kind of community issues, I didn't really have a say or a role or a vote in how those things were handled. Um, And so I just was like, man. And, And so, but it's difficult because when I left, I was broke. And you know, to be in the position to be able to finance my own, to not only live again off off of what I love to do, but to also be able to finance my own projects. I came back to Minneapolis under those terms, you know, and um, you're going to see a long conversation with Ant because I was sitting, I worked with Ant when I was in the twin, when I was in Minneapolis, which felt really beautiful. And Ant told me the whole time. He said, man, our friendship is our friendship. And, you know, it's to me, it's not about whether or not you're on the label. If you need to do things, whatever you do, I will always work with you. And he has. And Slug too. And I love those guys, man. I really love those guys very much. You know, and when I did my first tour, they they both came to it. They both traveled 
at, to see me and support me on my first tour. So one of the big shows was in Denver and Ant came and Amir Suleiman came. And those are two of my favorite human beings in this world. And then we did Madison and Slug came and there's a live recording. There's two recordings actually, one on stage though, and they have full video. And this one with Ant will have full video too, inshallah. But, um, you know, not only did they support me in spirit, they physically traveled to come and support me, to let me know like, hey, we, we're with you. You know what I mean? And again, it's not that they have to agree with everything I say or do. You know what I mean? Um, but it's like our hearts and our understanding of who we are as people is enough for us to be connected forever. And that's a huge gift. That's a huge blessing. Um, so I, I went back to Minneapolis and I, also I, I wanted to as a convert, we wanted to be people that could move to another, to a Muslim country. And we did it. I mean, we've been there for coming up on three years. And so, and, you know, it just occurred to me that over and over again in my life, all these things that I've wanted to do that seemed scary and they seemed like on paper, they might not make sense. Um, they've all come true. Everything I've ever asked Allah for has come to me with no exceptions. And it makes me think maybe I, w maybe I, maybe I wish I wanted more, you know what I mean? Because I've never asked to be rich and I've never asked to be famous. But I've just asked to be able to do things that feel right to me and to feel good about what I'm doing and to pursue the things that matter to me. And everything I've asked Allah for has happened. And almost all of them are things that on paper seem ridiculous, you know, and they've all happened. Um, and I also spent a lot of time at, at Lake, at uh, Bede Makaska. Um, I stayed close to there and every day I went out and walked, walked that lake. And it also made me realize that being in a place, you, you really have to be connected. It's really important. You don't really fully get the full benefit of a place unless you connect with what's special about that place. And I lived in Minneapolis for 30 years and I never really connected with the nature in the city of Minneapolis for a few reasons, you know. Um, I, I don't like the cold. <laughs> like I learned to live in it, you know what I mean? But it was springtime as part of, I think that helped a lot. Like I was there at the most beautiful time of year. Um but, you know, I'm being albino, the sun is rough for me. And I've always been profoundly overweight. And, um, you know, that also is, is going really well. I have a three-year, I have a goal, and then I have three years to achieve it. And I'm not quite at the two-year mark, but I'm, I'm well over two-thirds of the way to my goal. You know, so being, in, being there and, like, walking around the lakes, I'm also, I'm not carrying the weight that I used to carry physically. Um, so just going and just walking and, and just being with nature, I just realized like you have to, in order to really, to really benefit from that place, you have, I needed to be with the nature of it all. So I went almost every day, uh, um, every day, except for one or two every day and was just with the lake and with the people that are also at the lake and 
it just made me, it gave me an opportunity to relate to it in this really beautiful way. And then I also, I met with some people. I didn't meet with everybody. So like if I was there and I didn't see you, it's not a diss to you. I was there for personal reasons for myself, you know, um, and uh, I, I did meet with a couple people though. And it just made me realize that even the people that I might have at one time wished they did something different, or there's a couple people that at, at one time I saw as really central in my life and we're not necessarily communicating at the moment. It, it just I, I just became really okay with the fact that we're all going through so much. And I wrote this song, Mysterious Things. I can't wait to share it with you. It'll probably be a year. I'm sorry. It'll probably take a long time. Music takes a long time to come out. Maybe not. Who knows? But there's just that a human being is like, we all are, we have so many relationships going on at the same time. We're all relating first and foremost to the divine or to whatever we believe the source of meaning is. Like we're all relating to God. And it's a relationship that has highs and lows and peaks and valleys and complicate. I mean, some people are angry with, with God. Some people are have a lot of shame in front of God. Some people, you know, and the spiritual path is is about curing and healing all those things. It can all be healed to get to the point where we are a satisfied soul, where we're content with the divine and the divine is content with us. Like that's what we're seeking. And there's different stages of the development of our soul. We have the commanding soul that just commands us to do what the, what the what the ego wants. So it's going to command us to do evil. And then there's a period in between where we become self-aware. Um, and then sometimes we can even become self-deprecating and self-critical. And that's, that's an extreme. We've gone too far in the other direction. But we want to be self-aware, you know. And then in time, if we develop, we become people that are pleased with the divine and the divine is pleased with us. And we're content and we become satisfied. And that's that's the goal, you know. And not satisfied with corruption, not satisfied with, not like what Dr. Cornell West says, well-adjusted to injustice and well-adapted to indifference, but to be. But between us and the divine, we are satisfied. And those are people from whom only good pours forth out of people like that. And they become forces for good and they become instruments of good. So there's that. We're all relating to the, the meaning first. And then we're also relating with ourselves. We're in an active relationship with ourselves. Are we mad at ourselves? Do we hate ourselves? Are we insecure? Whatever our relationship with ourselves, that's also going on at all times. And it's always in flux with highs, lows, highs and lows, joys and woes, peaks and valleys, all that stuff. And then we're also forever in relationship with our parents, with our first love, with our childhood, with our community, with our feeling about the world. And so the way that a person relates to me and the way I relate to them is so much more complicated. It's not just about me and them, you know. There's so much going on. And I just got to this place where I'm like, I am in a place where I don't want to harm others and I don't want to harm myself. So I'm not going to deprecate myself. I'm not going to lower myself. I'm not going to shrink myself. I'm not going to judge myself. I'm not going to beat myself. I'm not going to shame myself. I'm going to be honest about what's what's healing and what's not when I'm moving in the right direction, when I'm not but I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to, 
you know, that's not the way forward. I, I just have a, an acceptance of the fact that I'm on a journey and so is everybody else. And I am, I'm okay with that, you know? So being in Minneapolis was profoundly healing for me. And it, it wasn't even about anything else anybody did or didn't do or said or didn't say or anything like that. Um, it really was just about the fact that another set of things that I sought out to do because my heart, want, my soul cried out for them, that they've become real. And there's scale, you know what I'm saying? I'm not a rich person, I'm not a famous person. But some people would, would look and say, well, I wish I had what that guy has. And some people, some other people look down on me because I don't have as much as they have. And again, that's not the point. <laughs> Neither one of those are the point. You know what I mean? Um, but that's very beautiful. And then we started, then we started traveling. We did some shows. I did some speaking engagements. Um, uh, as I speak, I'm in Philly. By the time you hear this, these shows will be done. But I'm doing three shows in Philly. Then I'm going to go to D.C. And then the 4th of July. Um, the 4th of July is the day that my father died um, by his own choice. And so that day always, you know, carries something for me. Um, and the 4th of July, and it's, you know, it's symbolic, of course, like I'm an artist, so I'm always going to find symbolic meaning and all this stuff. And I don't have to search very hard. You know, somebody said, you know, born, there's a movie born on the 4th of July. Well, my dad died of suicide on the 4th of July. You know, that's, you don't have to look hard for this symbolism in that. But that's the truth. Um, and so then I'll head back to Istanbul, inshallah. Uh, there's really dope podcast episodes coming. I sat with Ant. Um, it looks like I'll be sitting with Freeway, inshallah, in, in person and on video. The Ant one will have video. If everything goes according to plan, inshallah, the Freeway one will also have video. There's also other people in Philly that I'm hoping to connect with. Um, so inshallah, there's great episodes coming and I appreciate you listening and just being here for me, just kind of sitting down and talking about what I'm thinking. Uh, sponsors, we have sponsors and I need to mention them. The Zakat Foundation, Z-A-K-A-T Foundation is really dope. Um, please support them. They're worthy of support. Um, they've been supporting our podcast from the very beginning. And I feel really great about that. So Z-A-K-A-T dot O-R-G. Uh, go there and check out what they do and just give some money. Just give something. If, if this is cool to you and you like anything about this podcast, um, it's a lot of work. And we're, we don't do corporate sponsorships. And so if we were to, you know, the Zakat Foundation is really the ones that have been supporting this from the very beginning. So we're really grateful for that. Uh, also BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash travelers. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I always think about like why it's great for people to do therapy. And I'm not going to launch into a big thing about that because I've already shared a lot. But a lot of what you're hearing is um, the fact that I've benefited a lot from also while I've been in Istanbul, I've I've finally done therapy, like therapy that's just for me. And I can't recommend it more highly. And I know a lot of people that just don't want to do it. And I don't know how to get it through to them. 
that it that it's worth doing. Like you owe yourself that. You owe your children that. You know, um, a lot of times the people that would benefit the most from something are the people that want to do it the least. And I know that because that's true of me. You know, um, getting on this pattern of like exercising, walking you know, giving myself the gift of eating things that make me feel good. It's just an orientation I didn't have. And I always felt like, uh, I know I have to do that, but I'm not ready or I don't, not right now, or that's going to suck. And you just, you don't know, you're not ready till you're ready. But when you're ready, um, if you have trouble accessing therapy, BetterHelp is really good. Betterhelp.com slash travelers, then uh, you get a discount and then we also get a commission and that that you could help the show just by doing that. The other thing is to join the caravan on brotherali.com. Go to brotherali.com slash join. Uh, for $5 a month, you can get down with the caravan and there's all types of like exclusive and rare music and videos and speeches and podcast content and uh, ask me anything stuff. And it's like a lot of really dope stuff there that you can't, you're not going to find anywhere else. And $5 a month isn't much, but if, if everyone that benefits from this podcast would do that, uh, we would be really free to be able to, to dedicate our time to this podcast and not have to worry about um, doing things that are going to get big numbers. So those are the three ways to support what we're doing here. Oh, also the top tier of the caravan, that's 100 bucks a month. And there's a, a really dope group of people that do that. And a lot of them came, have come out to events recently. Um, and so we've called this the summer of meetups, but like I've been physically meeting a lot of the people. Some of them already knew. One of them, when I'm in DC, I'll actually be staying at his house because we knew each other before the caravan. But um, that's a really beautiful thing. You know, there's people in there that really share life together. And um, so, yeah, shout out to the people that have come out to, to kick it. Um, since I've been in America this time, the people from that top tier of the podcast, it's its a very special bond that we have in a community that is there. It's really dope. Uh, so that's it. Inshallah, we'll see you next week. Um, the podcast is produced by Brendan Kelly, BK1. It is a, uh, a product. I don't like the word product, but it comes from our company, which is called Travelers Media. We love you. We'll see you next week, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.